Okay, please turn to Luke chapter 11. I've already already reminded you that we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. That prayer that starts with the words, Our Father, which art in heaven. We're going to, that's what we're going to continue looking at this morning as we consider a sermon with the title, Give Us Day by Day Our Daily Bread, from Luke chapter 11 and verse 3. Up until now, as we've studied the model or the framework for prayer in what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, I say framework, that is my prayer some days and nothing more. You may think, well, that's not much, but um, anyway, if nothing else, it's a prayer that came from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ when he taught his disciples to pray. So... But anyway, as we've been studying this prayer, known as the Lord's Prayer, the focus has been on God, acknowledging his holiness and his sovereignty over all things, all things without exception. Today we'll consider Luke chapter 11 and verse 3, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, give us day by day our daily bread. In a sense, the focus is no longer on God because we're saying give us day by day our daily bread. It's no longer on God. It's on the person who is petitioning God, who's praying to God concerning his needs, not only his needs, but the needs of others. Hence the words us and our and not me and my. However, you do well to understand that there's never a time when the glory of God is not of the highest priority in this prayer and what should be in all prayers. It doesn't matter what you're praying for, even if you've got a list of things that you're praying for. And we're told, we're told by the Apostle Paul to be careful or to be anxious for nothing but with thanksgiving in your heart let your requests be made known unto God nothing wrong with letting your requests be made known unto God but even then ultimately your prayers are about God the one whom you are praying to and that must come first that must be your top priority the glory of God As the Apostle Paul also said, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. It's quite a tall order, isn't it, for us people? Even if you've been a Christian for many, many years, do all for the glory of God. When you've got that, the flesh, the sinful flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit lust uh, against the flesh. And uh, But there you have it. This is the word of God. Do all for the glory of God. The whatsoever ye do includes your prayers. Whatever you're praying about, you pray for the glory of God. That should be the aim anyway. 
In a similar way, when you consider God's law, this is an example now, you consider God's law, and I emphasise that it is God's law I'm talking about, not the stupid laws and the wicked laws that are passed at Tinwald. God's laws. The Bible tells us that love is the fulfilling of the law. And God's laws, they can be summarised as what? The Ten Commandments, they can be summarised as two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. That that can be said to be the first great commandment. And the second one is like unto it. Love thy neighbour as thyself. And all of God's law hang on the, those two great commandments. Our love for God and our love for our neighbour. And we saw that to be the case in chapter 10 when we were looking at the um, the Good Samaritan. The way we tend to explain all of that, those two great commandments, is to say that the first of the first great commandment it refers to the four commandments in the Ten Commandments. It refers to the first four commandments that are all about our duty to God. Hence, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. That refers to the four, first four of the Ten Commandments, our duty to God. And then the second great commandment, love thy neighbour as thyself. Well, that's a reference to the remaining six of the Ten Commandments, our duty to one another. Do not steal, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, and so on. Love your neighbour as yourself, and that's it. So we break up, or we, we, separate, we divide up the Ten Commandments. The first four, our duty to God, and then the, the last six, our duty to one another, to our neighbour. But I've already said, and I emphasise the fact, that they are God's commandments. That all ten of them are God's commandments. As such, all ten commandments are about our duty to love God. Including the six that we might just think of in terms of our duty to love one another. So, as we consider Luke chapter 11 and verse 3, where Jesus says, Give us, day by day, our daily bread. Keep at the forefront of your mind and your thoughts that the glory of God is of paramount importance. Even though you're asking God to supply your daily bread, it's still all about God, the glory of God. First of all, verse 3 is uh, is about asking God to supply your basic needs. When you pray, give us day by day our daily bread, you're asking God to give you the most basic things, such as your daily bread, if you want to take it literally. But it, obviously it goes beyond uh, uh, giving you a few slices of bread each day. But that's included in it. Give us day by day our daily bread. You're asking for the basic things. 
In the prosperity churches, people are regularly encouraged to step out in faith by sowing their money into the church. Have you heard that saying? I heard it some years ago and I just found it strange at the time when I first heard it. Even before I began to think, well, it it made me think about it. Sowing money into the church, what's that all about? But you're encouraged to sow your money into the church in these prosperity gospel churches. And provided that is being done, people are then encouraged to think big and to ask big in their petitions to God. Having sown in faith, sown money in faith into the church, it's now time to reap in faith. You sow and then you reap. Ask God for that shiny new car that you've got your eyes on. And if the car is not forthcoming, then the reason given is probably going to be that you did not ask in faith. So you, 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 you sow your money into the church, you think big and you ask big, ask for that shiny new car. If it doesn't come, the fault is yours because you, you haven't prayed in faith. You haven't asked in faith, believing that God can fulfill your heart's desire. And that's basically how it goes in those churches. The thing is, I do not get a sense of Jesus encouraging us to ask big In verse 3, it is not about asking God to supply your greed. It's about asking God to supply your need. That doesn't mean to say that God does not give an abundance of earthly riches to whomsoever he pleases. For example, Abraham lived about 2,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. The Bible tells us that Abraham was very wealthy. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, we're told that he was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. Also, there was Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. We're, We're looking at the life of Joseph on Sunday evenings. Please feel free to come along and join us on that journey looking at the life of Joseph. And by the providence of God, Joseph rose up to become the second most important man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, having been brought into that country as a slave. During seven years of famine, Joseph was in charge of all the food supplies. He was storing up food during seven years of plenty. And then that food was distributed during seven years of famine that followed. But if you can imagine it, during those seven years of famine, when people were quite literally starving to death, Joseph was in charge of an abundance of food supplies. So he quite literally had as much bread as he as he could ever possibly want, even in a time of famine. Another man with plenty was Joseph of Arimathea. It was he who prepared the dead body for burial, the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ for burial, and laid that dead body in his own tomb. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57 tells us that he was a rich man. 
For all their wealth, you will not find Abraham or Joseph or Joseph of Arimathea praying to God for earthly riches. And neither should we. We should have no interest in praying for those things if we belong to Jesus. There will always be those who insist that the Bible encourages us Christians to ask big and to ask for earthly riches. I have serious problems with such people. I really do not think it should enter into your, 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 your thought processes to ask big if you belong to Jesus. At the very least, it tells me that you have failed to understand some basic truths in the Bible. So I do have serious problems with those churches that encourage their congregations to sow big and to, to, to ask big. They don't know what they're talking about. There will always be those that insist that the Bible encourages to ask big. But they have no interest in context, Bible context. They will zoom in on a verse and they'll ignore everything else because they're greedy. They're greedy people and this is something that you should have left behind when you've trusted in Christ as your saviour from sin. Jesus, who gave everything, he laid down his life, he poured out his blood for those he came to save. Those people, they might quote James chapter 1 and verse 5, which says that God gives to all men liberally. And then in James chapter 1 verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So there you have it, they will say. There you have it in James chapter 1. God gives liberally to all men. He gives every good gift and every perfect gift. They take that to mean earthly riches. They're giving liberally, they're giving every good gift, they're giving every perfect gift. Earthly riches. Just ask big. They ignore the fact that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, those gifts are spiritual blessings in heavenly places, as can be seen from the very next verse, verse 18, which says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does that remind you of? Having said that every good gift, every perfect gift um, comes from above, from the Father of lights. Then in the very next verse, of his own will begat he us. What kind of language is that? That is the language of being born again by the word of God. You, this is it. You've got to think, well, that, that this is to do with being a born again Christian. There's your gifts. Every good gift. Every perfect gift. It's about being made a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. With old things having passed away. All things becoming new. Could you ask for more? 
It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. I quote this so often and I like a record that's stuck, but I'd make no apologies. Where the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Not just one or two blessings in Christ, spiritual blessings. Not a lot, but all spiritual blessings in Christ. You have been blessed with if you belong to Jesus. When you have received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, what more could you possibly want? I, 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 I feel compelled to ask that question because I know that even as Christians, we hang on to the, 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 the glittery things and the, 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 the things of this world so easily. Especially on a, on a land like this, an island like this, where we do have an abundance. There are various other verses that encourage us to look heavenwards rather than to earthly riches. For example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 22, 19 through to 21, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The obvious question there is, where is your heart? At the moment, with your treasures in heaven, treasures that are being stored up in heaven, or with your bank account, or your car, or whatever it is that you have in this world. Not knocking those things, but it's about priorities. Dear Christian, surely... The greatest treasure in heaven is what? Or who is the greatest treasure that you have? And he is in heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is altogether lovely, your great God and saviour. So if you really are a Christian, having received every good gift... And every perfect gift from above. And you really are laying up treasures in heaven. Why on earth would you even think to ask God for anything above and beyond what you need in this world? See what I mean? It just does not make sense to me. I'm not being judgmental here, but I cannot get my head round the people who preach a prosperity gospel. And I can't get my head round the Christian who prays for that nice shiny car or the latest iPhone. Consider this. There are more... I haven't done the research, I've got to admit. I haven't bothered to Google it or or look at any Wikipedia or anything, but I'm, I'm certain of this. 
There are more Christians living in poverty in this world than there are living in prosperity. Or, should we say, if they're not living in prosperity, they are living with the creature comforts that we on this island take for granted. Again, I'm, I'm certain that there are more Christians, more sons and daughters of God in this world who are living in abject poverty. There are many, there are many brothers and sisters in Christ who really do have little or nothing in this world. I've seen enough of them in India. And they live as outcasts or under the threat of persecution or the threat of death in various places in this world. We don't have that here on this island. Not yet at any rate. Consider the Son of God, even though he is very God, the Lord Jesus Christ had nowhere to lay his head when he was in the world. And when he sacrificially laid down his life, he was buried in a borrowed grave. With those things in mind, dare we ask God for that shiny new car? Or whatever it is that you've got your eyes on and that you covet. Your neighbour's got it and I want it. I deserve it, whatever that thing is. Dare you ask for anything beyond what you really uh, need? Unless, of course, you really do need that shiny car. Then ask for it. Go ahead. If you really believe you need it. Secondly, contentment with what you have. Praying those words in verse 3... Give us day by day our daily bread is an acknowledgement that you are content with what you have. If you have Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you ought to be thoroughly content, as content as content can be, because you already have everything. Each one of you, dear Christians, already has infinitely more, I'm talking about each one of you, You have more than the combined riches of the whole world. Is that an exaggeration? Not at all. Because you've got all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Just take one of those all spiritual blessings. That one spiritual blessing, that in itself is more than the combined riches of this world. How about taking... That if you're going to pick one of all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, how about you take the forgiveness of your sins? Would you trade that in for all the all the riches of this world? You'd be crazy if you even thought to. With that in mind, do you echo the words of the psalmist who said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Isn't that lovely? I like what Spurgeon said about those words. He said, The psalmist turns away from the glitter which fascinated him to the true gold which was his real treasure. He felt that his God was better to, the, better to him than all the wealth, health, honour and peace which he had so much envied in the world. Yea, he was not only better than all on earth, 
but more excellent than all in heaven. That is the Lord Jesus, of course. He bade all things else to go, that he might be filled with his God. And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. No longer should his wishes ramble, no other object should tempt him to stray. Henceforth, the ever-living one should be his all in all. It is only when Christians recognise that the Lord Jesus Christ is precious beyond compare, that he is the chief among 10,000, that he is their greatest possession and their greatest treasure, that they can stand together shoulder to shoulder, the prince with the pauper, all washed and redeemed with that same precious blood. And they can pray together, give us day by day our daily bread. Finally, you could own your own bakery that produces a vast amount of bread and turns over a handsome profit and still have nothing of eternal value if you have not received Jesus, who is the living bread which came down from heaven to save sinners. You really do need to pray, give me this day the living bread that came down from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do so as a repentant sinner. Come to Jesus as a repentant sinner and you will never hunger. Believe that he has paid the penalty for your sins in full with his own precious blood. You will never thirst. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Then, day by day, as a sinner saved by grace, having received Jesus as your saviour from sin, feed and feast upon his continual flow of grace. How do you do that? Through reading the word of God, the word of Christ. Let that word richly dwell in you. Feed upon Christ that you might live a born again life for the glory of God who is the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift and to God be the glory. Amen. Do you know, I don't, I don't offer a challenge. It's not because I went to, I couldn't think what it was called earlier. I just kept saying Elam Church, Pentecostal Church. I don't make the challenges, but I'm going to this morning. If there is someone in here who has recognised that, yeah, all I've got in this world is the, the, the things of this world. I can't take that with me when I die. I could lose it all tomorrow. I could lose my health tomorrow. I could lose my life tomorrow or today. Think about these things. Come and see me. I don't bite Talk to me about it. Let's talk about Jesus. And how you can have everything that you could possibly ever want in Christ Jesus. As a, as a repentant sinner.